Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up, and I just had some delicious coffee. And I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. You know, you may say that you don't want to touch anything in politics, but politics is going to touch you. And it's going to touch your children. (laughs) That is not a Joe Biden joke. Exactly. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, Shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hey, hey, all you Liberty lunatics. Welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, where I keep showing up every single Monday, no matter what, even when I'm tired, like I am now. (laughs) Just came back from a bachelor party in New Orleans. And as you're listening to this, I am actually traipsing around, hopefully, if I lived and survived through this adventure uh, somewhere in Mexico City. So I've been taking some me time this summer, getting some good trips in between Porkfest and this and some other adventures I have planned. But no matter what, I still show up here each and every Monday on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, just like my compatriots in Liberty, my fellow Lions of Liberty do with their shows each and every week, because this is the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, the original libertarian variety show. So I bring you interviews and roundtable discussions every single Monday on the flagship. And then on Wednesday, Brian McWilliams shows up with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his incredibly inspiring hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system. And now, because it's Democratic debate season, or it's debate season, or politics season, I guess it's always politics season, uh, but we are covering the Democratic debates, and we're doing extra shows for that as well. So uh, if you're a part of our Patreon, which you can find more at patreon.com slash Liberty, our Lions of Liberty Pride, uh, you will get access to the live streams of those shows, uh, the Facebook group. We actually have a new $2 level, where for just $2 a month, you can get access to our secret Facebook group, where we do live stream uh, those post shows, although you won't get access to to the majority of our audio and video content, but everyone at five bucks or higher gets access to all that great stuff, and we put out a bunch of bonus content. All of my Porkfest interviews went up there ahead of time uh, about a week before they released uh, to the general public last week, so you do get some insider early access and a ton of bonus shows, including uh, the very popular and always riveting Conspiracy Corner. This month, we're actually going to be looking at the O.J. Simpson case. Did he really do it? There are those that believe he didn't. Well... You can find out more by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. If you just can't get enough content with your three free shows every single week, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you get them all. 
Well, you can get even more by joining the Pride. So check that out again at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That is what keeps this show going. That is what sends us to great events like Porkfest and uh, other events we plan to cover in the following year or so. We're definitely going to be at the LNC next year. We're also hoping to pop over to Childerberg, run by some friends of ours at Tasting Anarchy and the Friends Against Government. That should be a great time as well. And we're also hoping to come back to Porkfest. And thanks to the money we take in from our supporters on Patreon, we were able to shoot a bunch of video content. So I'll be posting all the video interviews on YouTube as well as Facebook, and uh, we're hoping to come up with a little mini documentary out of the footage that we shot this weekend, and that is all thanks to members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. Every single dollar really does help, so we really do appreciate it. Again, patreon.com slash Liberty. but enough about all that. Let's get to today's guest. All right, my guest today has run campaigns both for Congress and state auditor in the state of Massachusetts. I had the pleasure of interviewing him at the Libertarian National Convention last year, and he's recently been named the new executive director of the Libertarian Party. Very pleased to welcome Dan Fishman. Dan, are you ready to roar? My name is Dan. Hear me roar. (laughs) <laughs> Excellent, Dan. You know, it's great to speak with you again. And I'm excited to talk to you about your new role as executive director of the Libertarian Party. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit more. And of course, we had a brief conversation as part of our uh, LNC coverage last year. But now I really want to get to know what makes Dan Fishman tick. So why don't you just start off telling us a bit more about yourself and how you first became interested in politics and how did you first take interest in libertarian ideas? So uh, I came here in a weird way. Politics is really my third career. Uh, I was a special education teacher for first seven years of my life, or first seven years of my working life. Uh, a lot of people feel like being a special education teacher prepares you well for my second career, which was software engineer. I think it also prepares me well for a career dealing with libertarians. Uh, you beat me to that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity. That, that uh, was just slow hanging fruit right there. It really is. Uh, so seven years special education teacher, uh, focusing on autistic students towards the last three years of my career. Uh, Then I got to a point in time where I thought uh, I was going to need to make more money. I went back to school uh, and got a computer science degree in the mid-90s. That was not the worst time to get a computer science degree. Uh, So I worked for a couple startups. Uh, One of them got bought by a company called Palm, which the kids have never heard of, but old people remember the old Palm pilot. Uh, And then I went to work for... uh, Mass General, which is the big hospital in Boston. We call it uh, MGH or Man's Greatest Hospital. I wrote uh, the distance learning program there, continuing on in the software industry. And then I went to work for a company called eSped uh, and got to return to special education. So I wrote software that makes special education better. But in 2011, uh, Barack Obama signed the National Defense Authorization Act. And it said that under suspicion of terrorism, the police can come and bring you downtown to the station. They can hold you without a uh, right to an attorney, without right to a speedy trial, all rights that are supposed to be guaranteed to us under the Constitution. And that goes to my family's personal history. My mother, uh, my grandmother came over from Russia uh, in, the, in 1904. Uh, her family, she was one of nine daughters. They came home one day uh, from the market and their father was gone. And they asked the neighbors what happened. And they said, oh, the police came. And he left with the police. And they went down to the police station. And the police said, yeah, we, we don't know where he is. He was never seen from again. Just disappeared. So to my personal family history, the idea that the police can come and take you and you disappear, that's a bad idea. That you don't have any recourse under law. That you don't have any rights when the, once the police grab you. So when Obama expanded the powers of the federal government to include that, 
I said, I have to do something. I can talk about the issues. Uh, I am, I, I humor myself and say that I can speak rationally and persuasively about some of these issues. So I decided to run for Congress in 2012 as a libertarian. And I, I'd always been uh, libertarian in my beliefs. Uh, I had the mistaken belief for a while that I was a Republican in the early 80s. Uh, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson convinced me that I was not a Republican. Uh, and so I'd been a libertarian since really the mid 80s. Um, but I wasn't active until this moment. I ran for Congress. Uh, it ended up being a very exciting and the actually the most expensive congressional race in the country at the time. Uh, Massachusetts politics are different from everywhere else. So the Republican that I ran against was a married gay man who was pro-choice. The Democrat that I ran against was a pro-life, avid Catholic, social conservative, whose wife had gone to jail for money laundering for 30 days. That's an interesting mix. Yeah. And so uh, the nice thing about it, though, was that uh, the race was really contested. They were hot, angry at each other. And I was seen as the voice of moderation. So I got invited to every debate. Uh, and that was great. And according to the local newspapers, I won every single debate. Uh, the bar wasn't particularly high because those guys ended up shouting at each other. But at the end, the final result was a uh, Democrat had 180,000 votes. Republican had 176,000 votes and I had 17,000 votes. So four times the margin of victory. So of course I got the one title every libertarian gets spoiler. Uh, but I accumulated a lot of goodwill. People felt I run a good campaign. Uh, and so, and especially the local libertarians were like, you can do more with us. So I uh, was recruited to join the local libertarian party by George Phillies, who a lot of people will know. Uh, and I came into the party. I became the political director. 2014, uh, we actually had 14 candidates who wanted to run in Massachusetts, which for us, that's a lot. Texas, I know you're thinking 14, that's one city, but in Massachusetts, that's a lot of libertarian candidates. Eight of them made the ballot. Uh, we had a very good showing. I was happy with our results. I continued to be political director. And then in 2016, I thought I would run for state rep. Uh, and I actually ended up, uh, there was a candidate who had uh, run as an independent and gotten major party status in Massachusetts. Libertarians did not have major party status. And he had this idea. He said, I'm going to call my party the United Independence Party. And everybody who's not a Republican or Democrat should run under the umbrella of the United Independence Party. So I ran UIP. Uh, I am the only candidate other than the guy who originally got elected to make the ballot as a UIP candidate in Massachusetts. And so I was a libertarian UIP. But then I got the nod to be the Northeast director for the Johnson Weld campaign. And it was a really strange uh, thing. I thought I was an odd choice for it because, you know, as, as you know, I, I like to think that I've achieved a little bit of notoriety uh, as a libertarian, but I'm much more famous as a software engineer. Uh, you know, you can look up my patents and stuff like that. That's what people know me for. Uh, and so when the Johnson Wealth around team, town and people are just saying, hey, that's Dan, the software guy. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what happens. Well, because I would go to the software meetups in Boston and stuff like that. Some people knew me from my uh, winning trivia team, Smarty McTrivia Pants. Uh, but uh, <laughs> in general, we had, uh, I was not, I mean, a few people knew me as a libertarian. But, uh, you know, Johnson Weld team came and asked me, uh, I told them I didn't think I was a good choice. Uh, they came back and they asked me a second time. And finally, the third time they convinced me. And so uh, my states were originally, uh, I mean, this is sort of the disorganization that we had. But in the beginning, my states were Indiana. Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and not Massachusetts, where I lived. 
<laughs> eventually, uh, right, I may, we managed to organize things a little bit better. So I ended up with uh, all of the Northeast, essentially everything Northeast of Maryland uh, being my states with Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine being the ones that we thought we were going to be competitive in. Uh, we ran a great campaign. I got to know Gary and Bill really well. Uh, I was proud of the work that we did. I'm still disappointed at the results that we got, but uh, I can talk about those probably on a whole nother show at some point in time. Uh, but that's when I began to realize that the system was stacked. So in 2018, uh, actually 2017, I decided that I could run for auditor. Uh, it's a position that I think makes complete sense for a libertarian. We had a, a great campaign slogan. Why would you elect a Republican or a Democrat to audit Republicans and Democrats? All right, it's a 30-second pitch to everybody likes. We had a uh, television commercial that uh, won, a, won a prize as the best political ad in Massachusetts that cycle. And that's but, deserved. I saw that ad. I mean, that, that was a great ad. Hey, you, had you, and the, you and the little referee shirt, I think that's probably the one you're, you're referencing. That, that's exactly it, right? And she has the referee come out and grab the football and say, stop the game. These balls are underinflated. Now, I have to point out for the rest of your listeners that in Massachusetts, we don't think Tom Brady's a cheater. I know everybody else does, but in Massachusetts, Tom Brady is a demigod. No comment. I have, uh, you know, various <laughs> affiliations in the audience to carry. Fair enough. I understand that. But so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good ad. I thought we were doing really well. We were doing some polling uh, and we showed uh, our internal polling showed us at 30%. Now, it's possible that we're terrible pollsters. In fact, that's probably pretty likely. Uh, but in August, uh, the company that I was working for got bought for the second time in the span of 11 months, uh, and they both triggered some equity events for me. And they came to me and they said, you know, Dan, we're going to take this company IPO, and you're old, and you make a lot of money. So can we buy you out? And I said, I could run full time. Uh, so in August, I uh, accepted a buyout, and I ran full time from between August and November, went every place I could. Uh, and then a week before the election, I was in Wellesley speaking to a group of uh, the League of Women Voters in Wellesley. And uh, they said, uh, I gave them my speech. Why would you elect a Republican or Democrat to audit Republicans and Democrats? I can tell that I'm reaching them. I'm talking about we had these huge scandals that the auditor was responsible for in Massachusetts. They're nodding along. And at the end, a woman stands up and she says, Dan, I love everything that you had to say. I think you would be an amazing auditor. And I wish that I could vote for you. But the party has told me that if I don't vote blue all the way down the line, that shows weakness in the Democratic Party. And that allows Donald Trump to build the wall. And I cannot have that. And everybody in the audience stood up and clapped. I'm like, well, this is going to be a bad election. And as it turns out, it was. Uh, you know, the, the, my, my take it out. And I, I say that with, uh, we got 108,000 votes uh, outside of Texas. I think I was the libertarian who got the most votes in the country. Um, but uh, we, uh, we learned a pretty important lesson there. And that lesson is, uh, you know, uh, Calvin Coolidge said, the business of America is business itself. Uh, we are good in, as America at process. We know how to do things efficiently. And the Republicans and Democrats figured out that the most efficient way to run a campaign is not to have a, have a positive marketing campaign for every new candidate, but instead to have the same negative campaign against the party all the time. And so they are deliberately polarizing us, splitting us into these two groups that are position and opposition. And you can see it. You can see the Republicans and Democrats pivot. Depending on who's in office, they change position. We're so split. Uh, and, you know, I'm, libertarians don't talk a lot about being patriotic. Uh, but I, I love this country because 
I'm a weird guy. I mean, I, mean, I present well, but we're all weird. And Rand said, you know, the individual is the ultimate minority. I like to say we're all minorities of one. We all got something in us that's freaky. If I lived in another country with my rebellious streak, I would be in jail right now. And so my debt to this country as, you know, much as I complain about it is great. And the freedoms that we are afforded, we're the only country that says your rights are inalienable. They're not granted to you by government. The United States, we say that in our documents, your rights belong to you. And I worry that that's going to change. And so after the election, when I saw how polarized we were and how the old parties are using that split to justify, you know, Gary Johnson said it best, we are kept in a state of endless war and perpetual debt to justify a constant assault on the rights of Americans. And that's what's happening. And as our rights go away and the rights for people like me to be different in the way that I'm different, the people like you to be different in the way that you're different, I had to do something. And so, you know, I could have gone back to work as a software engineer. I mean, there's, there's plenty of work out there. Uh, but this position came open and I thought I can do something. I can contribute to the cause. I can help us all as libertarians together be greater than the sum of our parts. So that's how I got here. I mean, I can definitely tell between your your passion as well as your experience, both in software, uh, where you're doing sort of a lot of systems analysis and that sort of thing, as well as your experience on the campaign, why you're such a shoo-in for this role of executive director. Now, executive director, that role doesn't get a, a lot of the pub that, um, say, the chairman gets and, and yep. that sort of thing. And a lot of people might not even really be aware of the difference. Executive director is an actual paid staff position uh, with the Libertarian Party, whereas chairman is not. Can you, just for people that are out there that aren't really familiar with the difference between the roles to kind of define uh, what your role actually is as executive director of the Libertarian Party, as opposed maybe as to what the chairman's role might be. Sure. I am essentially the chief operating officer of the Libertarian Party. So I'm the one who makes sure that all the bills get paid for what we have to do. I'm the one who keeps track of the uh, numbers required for ballot access. Uh, Recently, I've been helping Alaska out with uh, their ballot access issues. Sooner or later, we're going to need people to volunteer to make phone calls in Alaska. I'll be following up on that. Uh, we have a court case that's about to happen in Pennsylvania where uh, a couple of petitioners were uh, falsely accused of forging signatures, essentially intimidation tactics by Republicans to stop them from running. Uh, I'm responsible for making sure that all the money shows up for all of those things, which means a lot of my job is fundraising, asking people to donate. And most importantly, asking people to become members of the Libertarian Party. So let me make this pitch once. I'm going to make it again. LP.org slash join. You can become a member of the Libertarian Party. You help us. We're the only political wing of the liberty movement. We're fighting court cases. We are fighting ballot access laws. We are doing the work of a political party. And frankly, we're the only third party that's doing it. The Greens aren't doing this work. Constitution Party isn't doing this work. So people can join the Libertarian Party and still stay registered in whatever party you're in, vote wherever you want. Uh, but joining the Libertarian Party as a member really contributes to the liberty cause in the country. I think that's a distinction that's uh, kind of important to make. You can join, well, we can join any political party, including the Libertarian Party, and that's a totally separate thing from your registration. If you have, obviously, every state is different. Some people just want to vote in a Republican or Democratic primary for whatever reason, because they don't really have a Libertarian primary, so they might want to stay registered in in one of the major parties. But that's totally independent from the fact that you can still join and be an active member of the Libertarian Party. Yep, and there actually, we have a really good example of that. We have a Republican and Democrat who are, very good friends, uh, and they both join, and they're both hundred dollar a month members. So they are, you know, significant members in our uh, in our group. And 
One joined because, and I can't remember which one joined first. They, they sent me an email about this, but he joined because the other guy's party was in office. And he's like, the libertarians are the party of opposition. Okay. They're the only ones that are fighting against the government right now. And then when it changed and the other guy's party got in, he's like, oh my God, libertarians are still the party of opposition. They're the only ones who are always resisting the expansion of government, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. And so Republicans and Democrats do join and contribute to our party based on like right now, we're getting Democrats and, and some Republicans. We're getting people who think the current president is, uh, the word I like to use is socialist. Uh, you know, when the government interferes in the means of production, when the government controls the means of production, that's the definition of socialism. And when I can't import steel uh, to, for my company because the, pre the president says, no, we're not importing steel from China, that's socialism in my book. So I, I oppose socialism. And so you know, here I am, a lot of Democrats saying, oh, you know, tariffs are a terrible thing. Now, this is a new thing for Democrats, right? Previously, Democrats have always said protectionism, protect American jobs, all that sort of thing, use tariffs for that. But now that they're opposed to the president and they see us being consistent in opposing tariffs, and they're like, you know, maybe those Republicans, maybe those libertarians, there's a reason why we should be supporting them, even though sometimes they fight us. Like when we want to argue for free health care and libertarians are like, not free if the government's paying for it, when they oppose us on a whole bunch of different issues, but they recognize the fact that we've always been there fighting the argument of principle, that government should be expanded. And so rational Republicans and Democrats recognize the fact that at various points in time, they are allies with us because we are the ones who always resist the expansion of government, regardless of who's in power. Hey friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier when you were talking about your campaigns, specifically your campaign in aud as for auditor, when you had that moment realizing you're connecting with people and people are really liking what you're saying, but then you get that one lady and then she represents what so many people out there on either side would say when they say, look, as much as I like what you're saying, at the end of the day, we can't let the other guys get in. They're too bad. They're too awful. Yep. And this is, I mean, the biggest challenge libertarians face is being seen as that third party. So what can the libertarian party do, whether it's things that you can affect as the executive director or just in the messaging in general, uh, to actually bridge that divide and get people to take that leap from just seeing us as as the party we agree with, but we can't actually support because the other guys are just too bad, to to becoming a party that people can actually start flocking to in droves? Right. I think that there's a couple of critical things about it. Uh, you know, one other thing that happened in the campaign was I got the endorsement of the Boston Globe, which is the big paper in Massachusetts. Uh, also, the Wor Worcester Gazette Telegram, uh, both big papers in Massachusetts endorsed my campaign. 
And I thought that that was going to be worth something. Uh, but as it turns out, because we're so polarized, it, it's not. The Republicans and Democrats have succeeded in what they do. So we have to counter that mission. And the way that we do it as libertarians, we actually have a roadmap for it. So the Democrats have called this word their own, intersectionality, but it's not. Really, libertarians have the strongest argument to intersectionality of any party because every American has a point in time in which the government has restricted their access, their liberty, in a way that doesn't make any sense to them. At that point in time, that's where libertarians should be saying, hey, we're with you. We are with you on this issue. And that's a different message than a lot of libertarians where we say, say, oh, you're a statist on this and you're a statist on that and statist on that. And we push people away when in reality, we should be recognizing that sliver that they're giving us. They've got the door open for us to talk to them and approach them about liberty. And we miss it because we're so dead set on being right on every other issue. The way that we fix it is we recognize the fact that we are indeed all individuals, minorities of one, and getting that place where we are together. And I, I confess, I came to it this way. I came to liberty on one specific issue. But as I studied and appreciated that issue, I began to realize I have to support liberty for everywhere. You know, Martin Luther King said, a battle against injustice anywhere is a battle for justice everywhere. That's what we're talking about. It's this universal concept that liberty lifts us all up together. And so anytime we fight for liberty in one place, we're fighting for liberty for everybody. Well, that's a great sales pitch, but I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts are specifically now that we're going into 2020. Obviously, Donald Trump inspires um, both uh, awe, admiration on some sides and complete fear and disgust on other sides. And I, I think in so many ways, maybe no figure, at least in, in recent memory in politics, has, has expired so much of that sort of left-right rhetoric that this guy is so bad that we have to you know, get rid of him. Or on the other side, for the Republicans, they see the Democrats and people like AOC and they say, the things these people are talking about are, are so bad that you know, we, just, we can't look at any other alternative. So how do you think, at least maybe on the national level, when it comes to the, the political c conversation, when it comes to this presidential debate, how can the LP and the Libertarian Party, obviously you don't choose the candidate, the delegates do, but in terms of just getting the, the spotlight more, what can the Libertarian Party do at the national level to really insert ourselves into that conversation and make sure we're not ignored despite all that the uh, inflammatory rhetoric that, that's sure to be t being tossed around? I think one of the most important things we can do, you talk about the inflammatory rhetoric, we have to be the fireman. We, we have to be the one who puts out the fire with the cool water of reason. So Donald Trump, although I disagree with him a lot of things, he is not the antichrist. I have seen his top of his head. No, 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 I'm just kidding. That's a little omen joke for <laughs> people who don't get that. But uh, so uh, Donald Trump made a decision that was very important, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I have been involved in a charity called the Jet Foundation in Massachusetts for 20 years. Uh, we've been raising money for a thing called Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, terrible disease. It only affects boys and uh, no boy who's gotten it has lived past the age of 22. Uh, over the 20 years that I've been involved, we sponsored a lab at Mass General. Uh, they came up with a medication that they believe uh, not, not cures it, but prevents death uh, and allows people to get it younger to be cured. It's still in experimental stages. My friend who we, child we got involved with, you know, is 20 years old. If we take the five-year approval process, he will be dead before he can take that med. Donald Trump signed a law that said that people can get a doctor's note and say this person should be allowed to take experimental medication. That's awesome. How can anybody argue against that? Nobody can. That is my point is that everywhere we have to say, 
Nobody is 100% bad. Even Donald Trump has moments. Uh, so when last time I was working as a software engineer, I worked with a bunch of young kids who every day found a way to make me feel old. I like to say a broken clock is right twice a day. And the kids are like, what? You can't see the numbers if it's broken. I'm like, no. Oh, my God. I, that, that phrase is now outdated, isn't it? Exactly. It's yeah. terrible. But <laughs> it's true. So same thing with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay? So she might be uh, crazy about a lot of stuff, but when she talked about the fact that the tax breaks for Amazon were wrong, she's 100% right. Every libertarian should recognize the fact government shouldn't be picking winners and losers in the software engineering department. New York City shouldn't be making it cheaper for Amazon to hire software engineers in New York and put all the other software companies in New York out of business because they have a higher operating cost. She's right about that. That's the intersectionality that we need to recognize. And we're the ones who should be putting out the fire and say, you know what? You do agree with the Democrats on this. You do agree with the Republicans on this. Finding that, we are the only people who can see that right now because the two parties have become so polarized. Republicans and Democrats, they believe just the worst about each other. And we shouldn't be that way. I quote Gary Johnson again, said 80% of us agree on 80% of the issues. And where we don't, we, should ought to, we ought to be able to agree that there shouldn't be any laws about that sort of thing. That's my point. What about the battle that sort of takes place in, uh, I guess, in some ways in the, in the legal arena, in, in the media, the battle to just be seen by society's institutions, whether it's ballot access, as, as you well know, ballot access is a challenge that is facing yep. every single state, uh, as well as just getting into debates. And I mean, from the pure libertarian standpoint, we don't want to tell private companies what to do. But I think at this point, the companies that run those debates, uh, it's, it's iffy if we can call them a private company in the, in the same way that sure, you might no, call they are, yeah. the mom and, shop, mom and pop you know, pizza joint down. On the street one. So how, how can we actually, how is the Libertarian Party anyway, uh, under your direction, going to fight some of those battles, whether they be on the legal front or fighting to actually get onto the debate stage? So one of the very specific things that I'm talking about in terms of the debate stage right now, the question that they ask for the debate is, if the election were today, who would you vote for? And when they did that, all the people who said, I don't know, and let's talk about the fact that these are responsible voters who say, I don't know who I'm going to vote for because I haven't seen the debate yet. Okay, their votes counted against Gary Johnson getting to 15%. Hmm. Since modern polling era, neither Republican nor Democrat has polled under 40%. So let's just hypothetically assume that we have the two most unpopular candidates of all time, and they're both polling at 40%. That means there's only 20% of the electorate out there to get from, to get. So for us to get to 15% and have everybody who says, I haven't made up my mind yet count against Gary Johnson, 15% is an impossible number in my opinion. Uh, however, the Washington Post said that they think the question ought to be, who do you want to see in the presidential debate? And when they asked that question last cycle, Gary Johnson got 82%. And I think that's a better, a better metric for who should be in the debate. So let's see if we can get them to change the question. I mean, there are other people pursuing the idea that we want to change who runs the debates, that we want to change what the selection criteria are. But I think if they were to ask just a, a simple question, it's clear the American public overwhelmingly wants to see more than just the Republican and the Democratic candidate in the debate. 82% is not, you know, a casual number. 82% is an overwhelming support. How can you get the, the polling companies and the media organizations to change that question when they probably know very well exactly what you do? And, and that's why they, they, don't, they don't phrase the question that way. Well, I mean, we have, we have to work on it. There's no question about it. We have to lobby that. I mean, having the Washington Post as an ally in this is a pretty strong ally. 
it seems to me that we can get other media outlets to come in behind that. For one thing, you know, I think they're starting to realize that the bigger the circus, the better it is for the media companies, the more candidates, et cetera, getting them to realize. And let's talk about the fact that, you know, the media companies are corporations in the United States, just like everybody else. They do better when there's a lot of crazy stuff to report. They do better and they have an incentive to make things uh, dramatic. We don't really want elections to be dramatic. We'd rather they be sanguine, right? The, the, liber- the, the end game of libertarian politics is the end of politics as we know it. We want politics to have, we want the government to have so little power that people don't run for office because of the power. They run for office out of a sense of duty that it's my turn to make sure that the gate is closed. It's my turn to, my turn to make sure that, you know, the light bill is being paid, that sort of thing. We want a government that is that boring, that makes politics that boring. But to get that to there, we do have to get in the debates. We have to find a way to convince people, uh, to convince the public that their will should be represented in the debates. Well, one question I definitely have to ask you about, or, or my, my fans will berate me for it. I'm just curious about what your thoughts are on the rumors, speaking of bringing more attention to the party, on the rumors of Justin Amash switching and coming over to the Libertarian Party. This is something he has said he's not not going to do, but isn't not going to do either. And uh, many people from different, all sorts of different philosophical uh, sort of areas of libertarianism, whether they're minarchists or pragmatists, even um, anarcho-capitalists can can see a lot of good in, in Justin Amash just from a libertarian aspect uh but there are many i mean i think pretty much everybody would like him in the party one way or the other but i think there's someone of a divide between those who would like to see him hop over to the party and immediately insert himself into the presidential race which would certainly garner a lot of attention and those that would rather see him switch as a congressman try to maybe re-earn that seat and sort of earn his dues for for a while before he actually you know or maybe just run for senate or something like that before thrusting himself into the national spotlight obviously uh you're not here to endorse candidates one way or the other as the executive director of the organization but i'm curious what your thoughts about Justin Amash or other just big name R's or that, or even D's that might want to switch and come into the party and how they should be accepted and looked at. So I'm not sure who Justin, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I definitely You're fired. If you haven't heard who this guy is, <laughs> there, there's no question about it. That uh, is a lot of news about that. My number one thing. And uh, we, I have seen people post about this. If you want to join the libertarian party, we have a webpage for that uh, to plug it again, lp.org slash join. Okay. Very simple. You can come in and again, you could do it as a Republican sitting in Congress. You could become a dues paying member of the Libertarian Party. I, I would like to see that happen. Uh, you know, lifetime memberships only 1500 bucks. Uh, Governor Well did it last cycle. Gary's a lifetime member. Lots of people are lifetime members. I would want to see anybody who is running for president uh, be a lifetime member. And I, and I, in that, you know, I include other people in that. Uh, as well. I think too that the idea of having a declared libertarian, not a Republican and not a Democrat sitting in Congress. I love that idea. That gives me a little bit of goosebumps. You know, the idea that somebody's going to get up there and say, listen, let's ask whether or not government should do this. Uh, One of the questions that uh, came out last cycle was uh, Gary Johnson said, you know, one of the questions we should ask when we give power to the government is, should we say, what would, ha- what would our worst enemy do with this power? Okay, Justin Amash gets a chance to experience that because as a Republican, for a long time, he was the Democrats' worst enemy. And now, you know, having said that he thinks Trump should be impeached, he's the Republicans' worst enemy. So he knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of the power of, op- of opposing parties. That guy should be a libertarian 
on the floor of the House right now. I want him to make a speech as a libertarian. I want to see that L on C-SPAN. So that's where I want to see first. In terms of running for president, people should run for president when they feel motivated to do so, when they feel that they can advance the cause of liberty through their campaign. And so it's not for me to tell anybody one way or the other whether or not they should do that. But in terms of joining the Libertarian Party, a lot of people should do that. And that's an important first step. So let's get that done first. And that goes for any other people. You know, there's been other high-profile candidates. Some people have said Howard Schultz could might seat the Libertarian uh, thing. Some people have said Andrew Yang might seat the Libertarian nomination. I don't know anything about that one way or the other. But those are guys who right now, I mean, first of all, they're millionaires or billionaires. So they ought to get $1,500 uh, lifetime membership in the Libertarian Party. But also, you know, those are guys that should recognize the fact that they align with us on a lot of issues. You know, certainly social uh, reform, you know, ending prison, uh, prison reform, cannabis, legalization of marriage equality, all these things that, you know, as Democrats, they advocate for. We were there before them. They should be members of the Libertarian Party. Uh, and then if they want to seek our presidential nomination, start off saying, I was a member before I wanted to be president. And that's probably a lot more effective than, um, I won't mention who did this, but uh, just joining the, the week before you, you announced you're running for an office and uh, you know saying, here I am. Uh, but Dan, one more thing I wanted to get into. You you kind of mentioned it earlier um, that uh, you weren't entirely thrilled with the results. I don't think anybody was totally thrilled with the results of, of the Johnson Well campaign. And you know we're not going to get to a whole other hour about that. Like you said, you could. But I'm just wondering how you could sort of take lessons learned from those campaigns. And you know, like I came into the libertarian movement, uh, the party came later, but just the libertarian movement through Ron Paul and the excitement he was able to generate in the youth. And a lot of that excitement came from his very hardcore and very sincere anti-war message. And I'm kind of combining a couple questions here as, as we wrap up, but I'm just kind of wondering how we can take lessons from the 2016 campaign, which statistically actually was, you know, the best libertarian campaign of all time, if we're just looking at the numbers. Yeah, right. And um, the, how, how can we kind of take the lessons and some of the successes from that and sort of capitalize on that and really capture the youth and capture a lot of that energy that so many libertarians came into libertarian ideas and eventually the Libertarian Party, uh, as Ron Paul was able to do, as he was able to excite people. How can we kind of combine all of these lessons from the last decade or so and sort of insert ourselves, insert the Libertarian Party into this national dialogue, get real, get people really excited about the ideas of liberty again? I, I think that the best thing for us to do is to look back at the most successful rights, the most successful fights in American history for individual rights, because that's what we're talking about, right? The Libertarian Party stands for empowering people and depowering government. And we believe those two things are related, that it's on a balance. All the power of government is inversely related to the power of the people. So let's talk about two very successful campaigns for rights, women's suffrage and then the civil rights movement, okay? Women's suffrage, the right to vote, the right to really self-ownership in a small fraction, the idea that you own your vote yourself, that as a woman, as a person, as any citizen in this state, in the country, you should be allowed to vote. It was a long haul for women's suffrage. You go back and look at the history, you know, they really fought for it a long time. And it wasn't even that radical an idea. Civil rights was a longer battle. Uh, you know, and if we go back and we look and, you know, Americans need to own that all of our history is what led us to this day the shameful past of slavery, the better path of redeeming, of redemption, some redemption through the passing of the Civil Rights Act 
the idea that we said, you know, it's not right that we are going to, uh, you know, have people that we actively say because of your color that we're going to have signs up that say people of this color need not apply, stuff like that. We fixed that. Okay. Libertarians are fighting that same fight. Okay. The idea that you and I are possessed of individual rights that should not be denied to us. And principle among those rights is that of self-ownership. You own your body. You own yourself. Nobody has the right to tell you what goes into your body, what comes out of it, what to do with the product of your wages. Anything you earn with your labor, that belongs to you first. So libertarians are not in favor of legalizing cannabis because we want you to get high. I mean, you know, you want to get high, that's totally okay. But uh, we're not in favor of it because we want you to get high. We're in favor of it because you own your body. If you want to put something into it, we shouldn't stop you because our second principle is non-aggression. We want to make sure that you don't use force to stop people from doing things that aren't hurting anybody else. And that's it. That's the core of what we're talking about. So when we talk about the rights, we have to, we think about electoral failures and boy, it hurts me. But think about the successes that we've actually had culturally, okay? We were out in front of marriage equality. We were out in front of cannabis legalization. We we're out in front of sports gambling, which is now legal and across the country. We have been out in front of so many issues. We we're out in front of sex work, which I know is going to become legal in the next 10 to 20 years. We are leading the way. We are slowly moving the window to get people to realize that restraining anybody's rights, giving government the power to restrain rights, means that eventually government is going to use that power against you. We are waking people up to that. And we are working against a programming that's been going on of expanding the power of government for the last hundred years. The one thing that Republicans and the Democrats agree upon is that there always has to be a crisis. And the only solution to the crisis is government. So they create these crises so that they can have government intervention. And then they argue about what's the right way to solve the crisis. When the correct answer that libertarians understand is that it's not a crisis that people want to live their lives the way they want to do it. It's not a crisis that our economy isn't perfect because some people are doing things this way and some things are doing that way. We shouldn't have a regulation that restricts people liberty because it makes business more efficient. Let the market handle things like that. That's not a crisis that, you know, we have, you know, 800 taxi companies that Uber and Lyft and all these companies are committing. That's not a crisis that requires government to intervene and make regulations that restrict how this industry works. But the crisis is invented so the government can stay in power. It's the same argument that Gary said. We're kept in a state of perpetual war and endless debt, or maybe it's endless debt and perpetual war, so that they can justify the expansion of government. Libertarians are slowly winning this fight, and it doesn't feel like it sometimes, I know. And trust me, I know. I, I'm here because I worry about the fact that we might lose it, but we are winning. There are 12 mayors, 12 libertarian mayors right now in the United States. Jeff Hewitt runs uh, a budget of over $5.5 billion. Apollo Pazell, Kara Schulz, uh, other people across the country we have elected libertarians, and their voices are being heard, and their voices are being heard by regular voters who say, well, that makes a ton of sense. And that's the thing about it. We make sense. That's the critical thing about it. That's why we're going to win. Dan, one final question, maybe a challenge I'll pose to you. A all lot right. of libertarians listening now, uh, a lot of people are very passionate. You have all sorts of different phil philosophical approaches to libertarianism, but there's definitely a section of liber libertarians that either don't want to be par participate in politics and electoral politics or just reject the libertarian party overall. So let's just say you have 30 seconds in the elevator with someone. You, so you, someone just walked in with a Ron Paul t-shirt. You ask them about libertarianism and you know they, you, you get to talk and you, they realize you're the executive director of the libertarian 
Libertarian Party, but they say, yeah, you know, I'm just not really into the politics thing. I'm just not really interested in being a part of the party. But you got about nine floors to go. So what's your your fast pitch on why this person should get involved? Why people out there who are apolitical or just reject the idea of the Libertarian Party overall, but are passionate about the ideas, why should they get involved and join the Libertarian Party? My number one statement is that, you know, you may say that you don't want to touch anything in politics, but politics is going to touch you and it's going to touch your children. <laughs> that is not it's, a Joe Biden joke, but exactly. It, it is one of those things, though, that's true. The government doesn't ask for power over you. It asks for power over your neighbor and you grant it to them. The problem is, is that we realize this truth. Government expansion eventually threatens everybody. And so as much as we'd like to say, oh, you know, I don't care about politics or things are good. And let's not lie about the fact that things are better now for human beings, especially in the United States, than they've ever been anywhere else ever, right? We have these amazing collections of entertainment in front of us, giant television screens. Uh, You know, really, you're never going to lack for medical care in the United States. I mean, you know, we can have the arguments about it, but if you go to the emergency room, you're going to get treated. If you're starving, there is food for you. If you need money, somebody is going to take care of you in the United States. Things have never been better than they are. We are the freest country on the world but I don't want to be freest. I want to be free. I want us all to be free because that's our birthright. That is the inalienable right that is granted to us that we are born free and we lose that freedom when somebody else tries to say, you know what? I got a better way you could do this. And you say, well, you know, I appreciate your thoughts. Well, no, this is so, this way is so good that I'm going to use guns and force and make you do it this way. And we lose when we lose our freedom, we lose a special thing about us. And I'm not even talking about, you make all the arguments that the free market is better, that it's more innovative, it's more productive, all these wonderful things about freedom that people do with it. But your spirit being free, the idea that you own yourself and that you extend that same courtesy to everybody else, that's the thing that makes a difference. That's the thing, Mr. Friend of mine in the elevator was wearing this Ron Paul t-shirt. That's the thing that got you so charged about this in the beginning. You started to think to yourself, what are the possibilities for me outside of the control of government? Because right now, the people who tell you you have to live your life in this lane, those are the rulers, those are the bosses, those are the, that's the government. You don't want to do that. None of us do. Our birthright is freedom to explore the limits of our consciousness and intelligence and to get out there and do what we want to do and experience life, even if it's inefficient, even if sometimes we do things that we might hurt ourselves. Whatever the thing is, it's having that ability to do it that makes us special. It is the unique gift given to us as humans to explore our freedom. Like I said, I don't want to be freest. I want to be free. Join the Libertarian Party. All right. Well, hopefully that pitch works on the guy in the elevator or the proverbial everyone in the elevator out there listening right now. Dan, right. it's been a, been a pleasure having you on. Congratulations once again in your new position, your new role as executive director. Keep up the great work, Dan. Keep on roaring. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Well, I I don't know which roar was better there, Dan's roar or my my canned (laughs) roar sound effect. But either way, I'm very excited to see what Dan Fishman has in store coming ahead. Uh, Either way, it's going to be very exciting to see how the Libertarian Party can insert themselves and uh, insert the ideas of liberty into this crazy political time. Uh, As you guys are hopefully aware, we did some drunken Democratic debate recap shows. That's what we're calling them. After every single debate, we will continue to, to do that. 
Uh, you can click back in your Lions of Liberty podcast feed to find those. Uh, we had some special guests on as well. We had Remzo Martinez and Trisha Stewart join us for one of them. And we also had a, a Lion-centric show looking at all that stuff. But it's going to be very difficult. I will say, I think, for libertarians to find the voice in this sort of mess just because between Donald Trump and how much suction he suction he pulls out of the room, is that a thing? How much air he sucks out of the room, uh, along with just the madness of the, of the Democratic primary debates and all the attention they get, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how libertarians can present their ideas and push their candidates into this conversation. Either way, the Lions will be here roaring and commentating and probably having some drinks throughout the entire process. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, folks. We keep coming at you three days and more. We actually had five shows last week with the two Democratic recap debates, so you don't want to miss a damn thing. You want to keep coming back. You want to keep joining us and roaring with us each and every week. And the only other request that I have of you is to live long and live free. <laughs>